created in 2011 as a marketplace to help really creators, writers, video people, photo people, uh, create content at scale and really get linked up with people that needed their content. Marketplace grew substantially. Now today they pay out over $30 million a year to these creators. They make 3 million on that 30, so only 15%. They really send most of that through. Where they make most of their money is on the SaaS model. The company's paying for their creative suite, you know, managing the process of how the content goes out, gets published, and then analyze how the content does. They have 200 customers paying there, uh, doing about, uh, call it 20 million bucks today in ARR, doing up from about 1.1 million in MR, so about 12, 13, 14 million just a year ago. They raised 20 million bucks, uh, but again, to the point now where if they had to be in six or seven months profitable, they could. Healthy economics, or they're working on these at least 71% gross retention and 90% net re- uh, revenue retention kind of quarterly. Um, CAC, 40,000 bucks payback between six and 12 months with our team of 100 people based in New York City. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. They had no money when they started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Joe Coleman. He's a lifelong entrepreneur and founded two successful internet companies before his current company called Contently. In 2012, Joe and his co-founders were named to Inc.'s 30 under 30 list. We'll dive in today. Joe, are you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so first tell us what Contently does, and then I want to talk about your growth. Okay, cool. Cool. Uh, so Contently, um, our mission is to uh, help companies drive business results with content that engages, um, educates, and builds trust with their users. And so what that means is, uh, in practice, we built a content marketing solution primarily geared towards um, large enterprise brands, so the Fortune 500, um, those sorts of organizations, and and what we're trying to help them do is um, we're helping trying to to implement content marketing solutions that actually drive real results for their business. Um, if you look into that a little bit further and think about what Contently does, there's two things that make us really special. Uh, one of the things is that we spent the first couple of years of our business building out a marketplace for freelance creatives. And that's actually how we got started. Um, and so today that network is around 150,000 professional uh, journalists, videographers, data researchers, visual designers, kind of any kind of talent that a brand might need to uh, tell their story in a unique format is in that network. Um, largest of the kind of the world. The second component to that is the, the software platform that we've been building for the last five or so years um, that actually helps brands streamline the content marketing process from start to finish. So uh, not only do you have access to the talent, it's actually integrated into this enterprise software platform that helps you um, manage all the organizational change and all the process and sort of red tape and bureaucracy that often uh, marketers run into inside of these big companies. So that's the value proposition at its core. Um, We work with uh, a big chunk of the Fortune 500, seven of the 10 world's uh, most valuable brands are our customers. Um, We basically have categories like finance and insurance on lockdown. We do really well in B2B. 
travel is a big emerging category for us, people like Marriott, IHT, uh, those types of companies. So yeah, that's a sort of quick overview of the- uh, And, and Joe, when was year one? When did you launch? We launched in January 2011. Officially okay. is when we incorporated. So yeah. 2011 as a marketplace, you scaled that marketplace up to the point where many of these folks that you've built, you know, you said 150,000 are, 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 I mean, they're building lives on top of the revenue you're paying them. You paid out over 20 million in 2016. What is that scaled to in 2017? So it's well over $30 million now, mid 30 millions in terms of what we're actually paying these creatives each year, which is awesome. And like super rewarding component of the business, obviously, is not just are we helping brands um, tell more authentic stories and do marketing in a way that's less annoying, but we're also helping uh, you know, the media world by employing journalists and other types of customers through our freelance marketplace, through other sorts of content creators through our marketplace. Um, so yeah, the number is pretty big and growing, and uh, it's one of the cool parts about our business. Before we shift to the software side, in case we have some of these content people listening today and they might be interested in joining, if you give them a project that's a thousand bucks, how much gets paid through to them and how much do you keep? Uh, so we take a pretty small rate of whatever the marketplace transactions are. It's uh, typically around 15%. Okay. Um, depends on a few variables, but that's sort of where it falls. You know, it's typically where it falls, uh, falls in line. Although that's, you know, the way it's structured is that sort of charge to the brand and not necessarily to the uh, creative. So our, one of the things that's really important to us is that we're taking care of our freelance talent and making sure that we're making sure they get paid fairly, which was a big problem in the early days when you had content farms like Demand Media and Associated Content. And uh, we do things like make sure that they get paid immediately on the submit of their first draft which is night and day between what they're used to, where journalists will write a column for a magazine and then wait 90 days to get paid. So it's a great experience for our content creators. Um, we make mistakes sometimes, but I think we try to design something that is very uh, useful for them and, and trying to sort of set an example for what the future of media should be in many ways. Uh, with that kind of knowledge, I mean, if you're paying out 30 million to these folks on an annual basis, it's fair to say I could increase that about by about 15% and say you're doing about 33, 35 million in kind of project volume annually. Is that accurate? Uh, so the $30 million, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. With the overall project volume. Let's switch to the SaaS side because I think this is probably much higher margin and probably faster growing. When did you introduce a SaaS model? Because obviously you started as a marketplace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the way it worked was uh, it was kind of it was kind of a um, well, it's actually the way these things should happen, which is that we started building up the marketplace. Um, one of the things we did in the early days to solve the chicken or the egg problem with the marketplace was we ended up building portfolios for designers or sorry for journalists. Um, Scott Belsky, who at the time was uh, was running a company called Behance, yep. I sold it to Adobe. He was one of our investors, and he basically said, um, "Portfolio tool like Behance should exist for journalists." And he wasn't going to build it, so he's like, "You guys should build it." And so we did that. And we created a really awesome way for journalists to sign up to Contently and uh, display their work in a in a way that was super unique and compelling versus a paper resume or a LinkedIn site. And so. Um, that took off in the early days. It helped us uh, build out our network of talent. So we really scaled the, the supply side of the marketplace um, pretty quickly. And then we started looking at, okay, now that we have the writers, uh, how do we think about the demand side of the marketplace, the brands, the, the media companies, all these people that wanted to tap into this network. 
And uh, what ended up happening was we started working with bigger and bigger companies. Um, American Express and Coca-Cola were two of our early customers. And uh, what we realized pretty quickly was that the marketers over there had a lot of other problems that went beyond just finding talent. Yep. And so we were talking to our contact at Amex and they had like seven lawyers that needed to look at the piece of content before it could go live, um, which was shocking to us because we had never worked at a big company. Uh, but she was like, yeah, you know, we create this content, it has to go through this process of just endless revisions and reviews. And as a result, a lot of the content that gets produced doesn't even ever see the light of day. Uh, and so looking at that kind of case study and a few other things, we realized that we could actually solve a lot of those problems with software. Um, first and foremost, by getting them out of email and Excel spreadsheets and uh, you know Google Docs and those kinds of things and actually building a customized tool for content development, content marketing that would help them uh, easily manage the approvals and sign-offs and editing process involved in content marketing. So mm-hmm. that's where we got our start as we started uh, thinking about more and more of these problems. Joe, sorry, what, what, what year was that? Yeah. So 2011 was year one. When did the SaaS stuff start bubbling up? Uh, it was... It was end of 2012 that we really started uh, building out actual software beyond just the software that kind of enabled the marketplace. Okay, great. So, year and a half, two years. And then if we fast forward to today, these brands you're working with, you've mentioned some of the big ones, but give me a general sense of what they pay per month on average and, and what are they getting? What's the software delivered to them for that price? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, the average customer typically starts with a subscription that's somewhere around uh, 60k and and ACV, um, and that's just uh, on subscription fees. Um, and then the average brand will typically do about 20 percent, 25 percent of their average annual subscription fee. Uh, we'll we'll get about 25 percent of that back in content revenue, um, which means that the, the customer is doing more content or spending more money on content in the marketplace than they are on the subscription, which is a very important metric for us when we think about account health. Um, so that's typically what they're, you know, paying up front when they get started. What they're getting is they're getting access to, um, obviously, the network of creative talent. They're getting access to uh, the the software itself. Um, we do have some feature discrimination in our pricing, but typically our, our motto is really, uh, first of all, we want, we've tried things like per user pricing and all that stuff. And I've come to the conclusion that it just doesn't work very well in MarTech in general, but, you know, particularly in a business like ours where, we want as many people on the system as we can getting value out of Contently. Um, and so we have unlimited users. You get access to the creation suite that allows content to be produced um, inside the platform, whether it's our marketplace or your creative. Um, that, that includes things like payments and handling legal and all those things that are a pain for organizations to deal with internally. We take, we take care of all of that for them. Um, at a high level, I mean, there's tons of stuff in the system, but at a high level, we also help them manage the distribution process publishing the content to where it needs to go, getting it in front of the right place at the right time, um, uh, the right people at the right place at the right sure. time. And then, and then finally a lot to do with analytics and helping them understand the performance of their content, how they can do better next time. And, and how many customers have you scaled to on the SaaS side of things today? Uh, on the SaaS side of things, it's, it's around 200. Okay. So very much an enterprise sale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, I 
didn't have anything else. I just said, yes, it is very much an enterprise sale. Yeah. And then in terms of, again, where that's at, if I take 200 bucks and that minimum ACV you just said, I mean, that puts you well north of a a million bucks a month. I know you're north of that because you guys, congratulations, continue to make the ink list. And it sounds like you did about 21.3 million in in 2016 revenue. Uh, Where are you guys at today? Uh, So we are, we're ahead of that. Um, It depends, it depends again on how you calculate it. Um, So when you look at just pure SaaS subscription revenue, We'll end the year at about a on a twenty million dollar or so run rate, um, and then the content component of that is quite a bit larger. If you're gonna, so this gets into accounting rules and, and ways that that companies sort of count their revenue. What we've decided to do recently is not count the eighty five percent of the dollar that goes to the writer. Uh, we just count it as pass through now, and so we count only the fifteen percent that we take. What that means is that we have a business with smaller revenue but much higher gross margins. Um, which is really, I think the way that it should sort of, sort of be done anyway. So yeah, Joe, people get, people game this though all the time. I like that you've taken the approach that you've done. I think what I hear you saying is like some other companies might report this as 20 million in ARR from the SaaS side. And then instead of, instead of saying 3 million from the, the percent you take on the marketplace, they would say 33 million on top of that for 53 million in total revenue. But your margins are shit because 30 million goes out the door immediately to pay the, the freelancers, the, the, the creators. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like it's smoking smoking mirrors basically. Yeah. So so if we get kind of your true thing with high margins, you got twenty million in ARR and another call it three to five, which is your cut of the marketplace revenue. Right. That's great. Bootstrapped or have you raised capital? What's that? Bootstrapped or have you raised uh no no, we we've definitely raised capital. We've raised about twenty million dollars in equity over the last uh, seven years or so. When Um, was the last round? Last round was end of twenty sixteen. Okay. Um, so it's uh, it's actually one of the things that we're super proud of at Contently is if you look at the the space more broadly, um, we're neck and neck with a lot of our competition that has raised like ninety million dollars, sixty million dollars, forty million dollars. And my background as an entrepreneur, the two companies that I built before this were all bootstrapped, and so I, I just have a, a completely different way of thinking about things. I think than a lot of entrepreneurs that have only uh, worked in businesses that were capitalized through venture capital or some other uh, sort of mechanism. And uh, so we've always been very efficient. We've always been very, very lean. Um, and it's awesome because now we're looking at a business that's growing quickly uh, and we're going to be in a position to take on more capital if we want. Um, we're also, depending so on, hold on Joe, do, sorry, before you move away, before, yeah. before you move away from that comment. So real quick, what are you growing at right now? Just on the SaaS side, you're at 1.6 million a month today. Where were you a year ago? Where were we a year ago on the SaaS side? Uh, that's a good. I, I I would assume that we were around 1.2 probably. Yeah. Um, maybe 1.1 something like that. So at this scale, you know, you try to be above a 40% annual growth rate is kind of the um, the benchmark that that you want to hit is continue keeping up the 40% growth rate. Um, last year we were we were a little bit behind that. We had a lot of. Uh, a lot of rebuilding we had to do last year with respect to the exec team and so forth. Um, and then this year is uh, sort of looking much better. 
In a world full of social media, making time to actually read a book is more and more difficult. Now, a lot of you guys have many different strategies. I like to read on my Kindle when I'm traveling or things like that, but reading a whole book takes six, seven, eight hours. So a quick way that I make sure I read what I want to read is I use a tool called Blinkist. And Blinkist essentially is the only app that I've found that takes the best takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and then makes it very small down to 15 minutes kind of overview for me to read or listen to before I make a you know a business decision. Now, I like Blinkist because in less than 15 minutes, I feel like I can fast track my path to a more intelligent me. And if I can stay ahead of business news, I can make better deals. Now, I'll use Blinkist typically if I'm working out or on a quick car ride and then ultimately purchase the book and read it in a quiet time, whether it's a six hour plane ride from New York City to London or something else. Now, here's the cool thing. Right now for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer for just the Latka audience. You people, me, you, the smart ones. To get take advantage of it, go to nathanlatka.com forward slash Blinkist to start your free seven day trial. That's nathanlatka.com forward slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T to start your free seven day trial. nathanlatka.com forward slash Blinkist. I'll see you there. What are you at team size wise today? Team size wise, we're just over a hundred. Okay. And everyone based in New York? Most are based in New York. Uh, we have uh, a sales team out in San Francisco and I've got a team in um, that's sales and uh, customer success. And would my assumption that your cash flow positive be correct since you, you know, the last time you raised capital was so long ago? Uh, no. So we actually, uh, we are burning cash. We're not burning a lot. Um, we're in a position where, you know, we like to keep that option on the table um, and our pathway to profitability is pretty clear. Um, however, we spent so much time last year getting our sales and marketing machine in a good place that we all agree, including the board, that just makes sense to lean into some of the success we're seeing. So spending more on marketing, hiring more salespeople, doing all those things that you can do uh, comfortably once you've figured out a lot of the underlying components of the sales and marketing machine. What I think, Joe, I hear you saying is if you needed to be profitable, you could very easily do so by trimming some of the variable marketing expenses versus cutting any kind of muscle. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. You know, if we wanted to be profitable tomorrow, um, it would be much more painful than, say, if we wanted to be profitable in six months from now. But sure. um, there's, there's no real reason for us to do that because cash isn't really an issue for us right now. Yeah. So I want to talk more a little bit about economics and how you use those economics to build out that sales engine you just said. So, so walk me through a little bit, you know, churn is obviously critical in a SaaS company. What, what's your churn today? Uh-huh. So our churn across the board, uh, this has been something we've been working a lot on. Uh, in last quarter, it was 71% gross retention and about 90% net retention. Um, so we still have more room to work there for an enterprise business. You kind of want to have, you know, at the end of the day, you want to have 90% gross retention and then net negative churn, um, at least from a dollar standpoint, where we are is if you look at our business, we still have a component of the business that isn't the enterprise tier. It's sort of smaller businesses, high growth tech. A lot of these companies we took on because we thought we could serve them well. And, uh, History has shown that uh, in many cases, they're just not good customers for us. So for the last 18 months, we've been very much focusing on getting our customer mix right, getting it to be the kind of customers where we do really well, Fortune 500. And when you look at that cohort, um, we're at 90 plus percent gross retention and then net negative 
on the uh, MRR churn side. So we're in a really good place. Our work today is to get the existing base of customers that aren't there yet and either move them out if they're too small or work with them to get them to uh, sort of join this pool of companies that are using the solution in the right way that kind of increases uh, retention across the board. And just to be clear, the numbers you just gave me, 71% gross retention, 90% net retention from a quarterly perspective, those are both dollar figures, not logo numbers, right? Yeah, that's right. Our dollar or our logo retention is actually much better, but um, it's, it's useful, uh, but it's not nearly as useful as um, tracking dollar retention. In our Wait, Joe, that, can, that confuses me. Um, if you're focused on enterprise accounts, typically your, your revenue retention will be way higher than your, than your logo retention because you're churning lower paying customers paying you way less. Uh-huh. Say that again. When you just said that, I, maybe I misheard you. I thought I just heard you say that your logo churn was way, was way, sorry, you're on a logo basis. You're retaining way more than what your yeah. revenue retention is. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. If yeah, that's the, the case. So, yeah. So here's, here's why that is because many of our larger customers were working inside of several different divisions. Um, so someone like JP Morgan, we're managing 12 different lines of business through there. Uh, RBC has, I think 13 different lines of business. We just signed a deal with Rico where we're powering 16 different lines of business. Um, and so uh, what happens inside these organizations from quarter to quarter is you may lose one of those divisions. Um, and you may lose two of the divisions, but you still have five other divisions that are working within that brand. And so that means that you keep the logo, even though you're shedding some of the MRR, uh, you're shedding some of the dollar churn. You know what I mean? So it, it's possible to have you know, dollar churn that isn't great, but you still have the same customer set because you're working in other categories or other departments within those organizations. Yeah. Um, I, I, my brain was in a different spot. That makes total sense. What you just said in terms of kind of downgrade perspective and that, that would obviously shed light on why revenue retention could be higher or sorry, lower than logo retention. But I thought I heard you say yeah. that you have a lot of people on lower price tiers and you don't mind them churning. And those are logos kind of churning on lower price tiers. That's, that's what drove my thought process there. Yeah. So it's interesting, the lower price, uh, the, the lower tiers of companies that are smaller, they actually weren't paying that much less than the big brands, um, which is interesting and I think says a lot about the market. Uh, so it did hurt when we lost a lot of those guys. And, you know, a lot of what we've had to do is just sort of reorient our pricing because this was a new market. It still is a new market. And as a result, figuring out what pricing should be, a lot of it is trial and error. Like you literally, in the early days, we were just picking out numbers and if people paid for it, then we just charge more and we just had to go through that process to figure out what the right pricing is for the market. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What's your last few economics questions here before we wrap up with the famous five? Um, CAC, what are you paying right now to acquire new customers? Fully weighted. Right now it's about, yeah, right now it's about 40,000. Okay. Um, it, it sort of goes between 30 and, and 50K. Um, we obviously like to keep it quite a bit lower, but we also operate on fully loaded figures. So whenever you build out uh, a marketing function or invest in things um, that aren't just variable ad spend and so forth, you're going to take a little bit of a hit there in terms of CAC. Um, but they Joe, I feel like you're, I feel like you're hedging this, but, but if you have, if you're paying that and there's coming on at five grand a month, your payback is eight months, which is totally healthy for a company in your spot. Why do you feel like that? Why, why are you, am I reading right that you're hedging there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I am. Obviously, you want as low payback as you can get, right? It'd be great if our payback was three months. Of course. Um, and, and, and sometimes it, it has been. But yeah, you're totally right. I mean, our payback 
it swings anywhere between, you know, uh, six months and a year, sort of depending on how we do that quarter and those kinds of things. Uh, but yeah, our, our view is, you know, as long as it's under a year, I think that the business definitely deserves investment and those kinds of things. So yep. we're in a pretty good spot with that. Are you raising capital right now? We're not. We're not raising okay. capital right now. Um, yeah, we're we're in a position now where we're really fine-tuning our sales and marketing machine. Um, 17, we built an excellent marketing team. We also brought in a really strong sales leader and, and, uh, and have since then hired a really strong sales team. Uh, the thing about enterprise sales, it sucks, is you have long ramp-up times for reps. Deals take a while to close, and so you do all this great work to get the thing in place, and then you got to wait a little while to see all those results. Um, and so we're anticipating uh, kind of end of Q4 this year, Q119, when things are really going to start taking off for us and all that hard work we did uh, figuring out the formulas for sales and marketing are really going to really gonna take off for us. And then we'll, we'll likely look at uh, another round of funding. All right, Joe, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, that's a good question. Um, if you don't have one, don't make one up. That's okay. I guess I'd have to say the Blue Ocean Strategy. I'm a big fan of that one. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, yeah, it's a weird question. Yeah. Uh, so I want to make a fool of myself because I can't remember how to say his name, but it's like, uh, Satya Nadell from, uh, Satya Nadella. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fascinated by, uh, the work that he's done and just how different he is from a DNA perspective than his pre his precursor predecessor and love the the way they're going. Um, I've also closer to home. I've been thinking a lot about, uh, there's a company here called Tabula, and I, I'm friendly with their CEO, Adam Singola, who was actually one of the guys that first helped us in the early days and believed in us. And last time I saw him, he talked about how his company is so big now that he's just spending a lot of time thinking about um, how can he add his unique value. And that's just something that resonated with me so much because at a certain point as a CEO, you have so many good people around you that can do a lot of great things. And it's like, oh, like, what should I do? How should I spend my time? And you're really forced to think about where am I uniquely good? And how can I maximize the amount of time that I'm doing those things? And so uh, I think been thinking a lot about that meeting and some of the things he said there just as a CEO. Good. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building the business? Uh, well, I would recommend Contently Highly. <laughs> Besides um, your own. I, yeah. I, I would also say, I mean, from a pure necessity standpoint, Salesforce, I think, is obviously very important. Um, I, I think the G suite is also very, very awesome for, um, you know, building out teams and, and managing those guys. Uh, and then fun one I found recently is standard notes, which is basically an awesome note taking tool that has lots of extensions and you can do lots of fun stuff with it and just personally managing my own stuff. Number four, Joe, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Oh man, I probably get, um, I probably get seven. Good. Very good. That's healthy. And what, and what's your situation? Married, single kiddos? Uh, I'm married and I have an 18 month old at home. Oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, and how old are you? 34. 34. Okay. Last question. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? Uh, uh, see, I, I wish, uh, I wish I knew not to buy that condo in Las Vegas in 2006. Um, (laughs) but, uh, Apart from that, I guess I would say, you know, I really wish I knew that 
exactly what you're getting into when you start a venture back company. Um, and it's impossible for people like me to know at that stage. Um, but you know, it's a huge commitment. And especially if you're successful, it's an enormous commitment. And don't get me wrong, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But, uh, you have no idea what you're in for in terms of, uh, insanity and stress and just all of the stuff that goes with it. So, uh, maybe I actually don't wish I knew that because I'm not sure I would have done it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it is, there's a lot more than you initially think about when you think about starting a business. Again, especially if you're successful. Guys, there you have it from Joe, created in 2011 as a marketplace to help really creators, writers, video people, photo people, uh, create content at scale and really get linked up with people that needed their content. Marketplace grew substantially. Now today, they pay out over $30 million a year to these creators. They make $3 million on that 30, so only 15%. They really send most of that through. Where they make most of their money is on the SaaS model. The company's paying for their creative suite, you know, managing the process of how the content goes out, gets published, and then analyze how the content does. They have 200 customers paying there, uh, doing about, uh, call it 20 million bucks today in ARR, do it up from about 1.1 million in MR, so about 12, 13, 14 million just a year ago. They raised 20 million bucks, uh, but again, to the point now where if they had to be in six or seven months profitable, they could. Healthy economics, or they're working on these at least, 71% gross retention and 90% net re uh, revenue retention kind of quarterly. Um, CAC, 40,000 bucks, payback between six and 12 months with our team of 100 people based in New York City. Joe, thank you for taking us to the top. Yeah. Thank you for having me.